Glad that you're in the evening service tonight. We want to make a start with number 584. And the words are very familiar. I'm not so sure if the tune is exactly, so we're going to ask the instruments to play through the opening verse. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Now, you just remain seated until the first verse plays, and then we'll ask you to stand as we sing. standing please as we join in this hymn. Thank you. 
Well, we've been singing tonight about what it means to stand up for the Lord. The final verse speaks about the strife not being long. Well, that's an encouragement for us because sometimes the battle is weary and the flesh is weak. But you know, the more we go on with the Lord, our spirits are to be strengthened. We are with might in the inner man. And though the storm is raging and we're facing the headwinds of opposition, yet still the Lord has told us that we are to keep going and to press on with Him. The day, this day, the noise of battle, but the next will be the victor's song. To him that overcometh the crown of life shall be. He with the King of glory shall reign eternally. And that's our hope tonight. Let's sing this final verse. Let's bow before the Lord now in prayer and just commit our evening service to Him. Father, we are thankful in our hearts for the great mercy that once more we have received to come to the house of prayer and praise, the house of the preaching of the unsearchable riches of Christ. And Lord, as we have commenced our meeting, we pray that the honor of King Jesus will be front and center in our hearts tonight. It will be front and center in our lives tomorrow morning as we wake up for a new day and a new work week. Lord, we pray that we might know the joy and the blessing and the peace of God that passes all understanding, and that, Lord, you will equip us by the power of the Holy Spirit that we might be enabled to press forward and to go on. And no matter what, Lord, the strife will not be long. For our life is but a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanishes away as the steam, Lord, rising from a kettle, and it soon is gone. Oh, Lord, help us to remember, to know, to have impressed on our hearts that it is only what is done for Christ that will last. Dear Father, help us to know that. Let us be reminded of it. And Lord, if there be times in our life where we need to have this reinforced by one way or another, if our minds are distracted or our wills or our purpose, then Lord, we are thankful for those checks that you bring to our life those balances, those times where we know 
It's important to get the priorities right. Help us, therefore, we pray, to seek first the kingdom of our God, and then all these things shall be added unto us. And dear Lord, pour out your blessing on this meeting now, this evening. We're thankful, Lord, that as we call, as we come in prayer, as we open our minds and hearts as believers to praise and worship the great name of our Father and our Savior, Lord, we know that it is not an empty thing to call upon the Lord as we approach in prayer. We come on the value and merit of our Lord Jesus' atonement. And we're thankful tonight that we have boldness and access to approach, and no one and no power can keep us away. For, Lord, you've invited us, and we are welcome. And we bow in our Savior's precious and holy name. So, Father, meet with us this evening. Bless our time of singing and of reading the Scripture. And as we come around the Word, let it be an encouragement. Help us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. And Father, whatever are the burdens and needs of each heart tonight, we pray that they will be addressed by the Scripture and the Holy Spirit will apply the truth to all our lives. We don't want to be just warming a bench. We don't want to go through life just having other people do the work and us sitting on the sidelines. We want, dear Father, to be engaged in the service of Christ. We want to be useful in the kingdom of our God. Lord, we ask and have asked many times, and so we ask again that you would be pleased to make us soul winners for Christ. Bring people across our pathway that need to hear the word of salvation. And that, Lord, our tongues will be loosed and our mouths opened and we will not fear the face of man in any way, but we will trust in our Lord. Father, you have promised that as we open our mouth, we will be enabled to speak. And so pour out your grace upon us tonight, Father, and hear our prayers. We commit every family every family represented here, uh, and dear Father, the unsaved loved ones we have, we pray for their salvation. And we pray, Lord, that all the hindrances the devil would put in our way to disrupt marriages, to come between husband and wife and uh, mothers and daughters, fathers and sons, whatever the case may be, Lord, cause those things to evaporate and disappear. And give us blessed unity in every household and so that our congregation would be strong and we'll be able to be an example in our community. Lord, we ask again for your fear to descend upon this Malvern and Scarborough and Toronto area and those who have set themselves to evil things that they would be stopped in their pathway and Lord, you would deal with the crime that's ever rising in our land, in our city. And Lord, sometimes we have no wonder of it because our politicians 
and much of society has turned away from the Scripture, and they have embraced evil, they enjoy and love sin, and this is the fruit of it very often. But Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. And Lord, help us, we pray, and make use of us to be a good testimony and a light in our time. So hear our prayers this evening. Bless our time together. Remember those shut in, those sick and not able to be with us. May they know a portion of blessing on their hearts and in their bodies tonight. So hear our prayers and receive our thanksgiving. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Number 632. 632. We'll stand, please, again as we worship the Lord tonight. Friend, is that the testimony that you have tonight? Can you say within your heart that God is the treasure of my soul? People place treasures in many places, and they call things treasures many times. But is it not true that the greatest treasure that you and I can have possibly is the treasure of Christ the treasure of God 
in our lives, the source of lasting joy, a joy which want shall not impair, nor death itself destroy. What rejoicing we have tonight in Him. Returning, please, in our Bible reading now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. We're starting our reading at verse 35 down to 49. In this chapter, Paul the Apostle deals with the great theme of the resurrection of Christ from the grave. And in so speaking authoritatively and biblically that Christ indeed has risen from the dead, he uses that as a great launching pad in order to speak to the hope that you and I have that we also will rise with him and that we will be granted and given a new body. There are some who denied the resurrection, like the Sadducees, and that influence sometimes spread farther. And even some people in the local church in Corinth were wondering, how can this be? How is it that we will rise from the dead? What's that going to look like? What's our eternal existence going to look like? And so there was a lot of questions. And Paul begins to address some of those very questions in verse 35. He said, but some man will say, how are the dead raised? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain it may chance of wheat or of some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it has pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial of the earth. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption and raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man Adam was made a living soul, the last Adam 
was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. May God bless His Word to us tonight and keep that portion open. We'll be looking a little bit farther into that later in the service. But Paul argues that as God has given to every seed its own extension or purpose or fulfillment, and there is different flesh from animals to birds to plants and to man, and so as the seed is sown, it must die. But in that death, it will be raised into a new body, and the body that God ordained to give to it. And Paul is speaking about all this because he is leading them right into the great and glorious existence that you and I will have with God forever. The difference between the natural man, the earthly man, and the heavenly, the spiritual man, for all those in Christ are raised and will be raised up to be with Him forever and forever. This is the great hope that you and I have tonight. We welcome you this evening into our service. We're glad that you are here. And it's a very special blessing to welcome Mrs. Santos back with us again. I see you there, dear. He's come back from overseas and back with us for a time. And so we're very happy that you're here tonight. And we pray the Lord would continue to bless you and watch over you. And if you're visiting tonight, or maybe you've come back again, you are very welcome in the Savior's name. And we pray the Lord would encourage your heart and He would bless you. Right after our service tonight, if you are able to stay for 10, 15 minutes, we're going to sing some hymns to the Lord's praise, and these are special times for our congregation, as you all love to sing and to praise God, so that's a blessing, and we hope you'll be able to stay tonight. After that, the young adults will be meeting around the piano for a choir practice, so please keep that in your minds. Wednesday night is our midweek meeting, Bible study and prayer at 7.30. We encourage you to set each Wednesday night in your weekly calendar and be sure to be with us if you can do so. And the next Lord's Day, our Bible classes starting at 9.45 and then our morning service at 11 and the evening service at 6.30. Don't forget our advance announcement about February the 24th. That's a Saturday. And there will be a family outing and it will be a skating outing and that will be at the Canlan Sports Arena on Markham Road. That's going to be from 9 a.m., so you have to arrive there, you know, 8.45 or 8.30, get your skates on and get ready, and then there'll be two hours of family skating, 
and then coming back to the church afterward for a pizza lunch. Looking forward to that time of outing. That will be on the 24th of February. Let's sing again, please, to the Lord's praise. And while we do that, number 580, let me just encourage you and remind you about your tithes and your offerings for the work of God here. The uh, boxes for those offerings are in the hallway, and uh, the envelopes are there if you need to use one of those, and if God's directing you or leading you as giving something in the service of the Lord. 580, uh, we'll stand as we sing, Go Labor On. Let's continue our reading now in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, 
and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? For the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. May God write His Word again upon our hearts and encourage us as we think tonight. I want to speak to you on the subject simply this, keep going, keep going. No surrender. Uh, do not stop as we are pursuing the Lord in our life. Let's bow, please, in a word of prayer. Our Lord, we have read again tonight, Father, words that are so amazing. They, they are so filled with hope. They are so filled with joy and expectation for the child of God. And Father, tonight we are thankful that we are your children. We have been born again of the Spirit of God. And so, Lord, tonight we are thankful and we pray that the joy and the peace of Christ would fill our hearts. Lord, what of those tonight here who are not saved? We ask, Lord, tonight humbly that you would speak to them and they would come to trust in the Savior tonight. Hear our prayers now and help me, Lord, to speak your word faithfully and plainly with the power of heaven. We know that this work is not of the flesh. Therefore, Lord, strengthen us with might in the inner man. For we ask these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. I don't have to say to you or ask you, do you always find your Christian life an easy progress or an easy step? Is it something you find, yeah, going on with the Lord's no big problem in my life. We just keep on going. No issue, no problems. Well, if that's you, I'd like you to talk to me after the service and give me a few tips there how you do that because it's not always that easy, I have found. The Apostle, in speaking in this chapter uh, to the Corinthian church, he certainly is emphasizing, as we've already mentioned, about the truth and the joy and the hope of what it is to 
understand the resurrection of Christ and to understand where you and I fit into that plan that God has for us to rise from the dead. And believer, as we think about the difficulty of what it is to keep going with the Lord and pressing on in our Christian life, this is one of the main reasons that the Apostle, by the Spirit of God, wrote this and gave this great tonic to the people of God, this great antidote to the spirit or sickness of being melancholy, the sickness that comes over believers of sometimes wanting to throw the towel in and just give up because the going is hard and it's tough. And friends, if you find yourself there in that place tonight, then this word may well be for you. Friend, if you don't find yourself there tonight, then rejoice at this time period of your life where you are rejoicing in God, you're thankful, you're going on with Him. But I say to you, be cautious and don't think for yourself for a moment, well, I'm glad I'm just sailing on the mountaintop of victory with the Lord and all is going well. Beware, for tomorrow is a new day and we do not know exactly what will be around the corner. And sometimes, you know, the Lord does in our lives, allows us to have a little trip or a stumble because when we get so full of our own selves and our own thinking that we can handle this, we're going to make this on our own, the Lord will show us, no, you cannot and you won't. But He gives us ample food ample spiritual wherewithal to be able to grasp this and take a good grip of the food of Scripture and the promises of His Word, helping us to see that there is good reason why we have hope tonight. The verses we have read this evening, they really lift us into a heavenly realm. In a real sense, they transport our minds beyond the inevitability of certain death, which we are all going to face sooner or later, save the Lord Jesus returning. The certain death which will bring us then to the status of immortality. Immortality has two aspects to it. Because our soul that lives within our human frame will never go out of existence. An unbeliever tonight, I want you to think seriously about this. Because the idea of immortality, we generally project that toward living in heaven in glory with God forevermore in paradise. But the truth of immortality is that the soul of those who have rejected Christ will always be in existence forever and forever and for eternity, but they will be separated from God in a lost eternity. The Bible speaks about the second death when, the sat when Satan and all his angels are cast into the lake of fire. 
And all unbelievers will also be cast into that same place with the devil. Friend, this is a solemn thought. If you're without Christ tonight, I implore you to think carefully that when the moment you pass from this life into death, it will not be over for you. It will not be finished in your existence but it will be the beginning of an eternal existence apart from God suffering in hell forever and forever. This is most solemn. And so immortality is that which happens to every single soul that dies. Paul said that this corruption must put on incorruption. And when he's relating that in this text of the Scripture, he is speaking with his eyes firmly fixed upon those who are in Christ, firmly fixed upon those that have a hope for eternity. And as we dwell and think upon that great truth tonight, we cannot say that without also giving the warning of those who are not in such a state. Friends, if you have heard the gospel before, then you have heard the exhortation to flee from the wrath that is to come. For if you are outside of Christ, if you do not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, and you die, and you go to meet God, you will stand before Him in your sin. And if you stand before God in your sin, you will stand condemned for all eternity. Believer, let the truth of this sink down into all our hearts so that we will be compelled to go and speak to those who we know are not saved in our family to those we know who are not saved, of our neighbors and our friends. And with all urgency that we might be gripped with this reality that if a person dies outside of Christ, they will be going to hell forever and forever and forever. And there is no hope beyond that. We must face that truth. What is Paul saying here to God's people, to those who are in Christ? There is an eternal reality awaiting for you in glory. And the body that you now possess, the body that is racked with pain, a body that is overcome with great suffering, a body that God providentially has allowed you to go through with great trials and difficulties in this life. Ah, friends, the time is short for you. For our life but a vapor is on this earth for a very short time. This mortal must put on immortality in Christ. This temporal must put on the eternal. And that is what we are looking forward to. And the trumpet of Christ's return 
may soon sound. When we speak about the Lord's return to this world, we are only echoing what the Scripture teaches us to speak of and to speak often about it. And perhaps we don't speak often enough. Maybe we don't think about it often enough in the course of our day and our week and our month and our year. But it is so valuable and important for us to be with anticipation listening for that trumpet of Christ's return. And as we do so, we are watching and waiting for our Lord to come back again. And if He comes during our lifetime, what a glorious welcome we will give to Him. But if He chooses that we will pass through the gates of death here on this earth, and we will be in the Lord's presence nonetheless. For to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord in Christ Jesus. Very soon, friend, we will be released from our mortal state. And we shall put on the immortal state. There is no shame or fear in the death of a Christian. And sometimes the devil would try to heap scorn or shame upon a Christian who dies as a martyr, and maybe they will bring all society against that person and see them put to death. It has happened many times over. You don't have to read church history very long or investigate very far to find where those that have lived for Christ in times of great opposition have gone to, the, to their death as a martyr. But for them, there is no shame in that indeed there is the open arms of the angels in heaven that are waiting to welcome, and Christ Himself is standing to welcome those people into glory. Yes, there is no shame for the death of the believer because God has given to us an everlasting hope. And as we speak with that joy and fulfillment, the unspeakable joy of the fulfillment of a life course, and I say, friend, fulfillment because our life course in Christ is not ended but it is completed and fulfilled. For the end for the believer, well, in reality, there is no end. There is but the glorious introduction to our home with Christ forever and forever. Yes, hard enough is the road of life. Many are wounded by the consequences of sin, Ah, but be that as it may. And a friend, if you've been set back with some debilitating issue of health, and, and some of you have, if you've been set back with a turn in your life that you don't understand why you've gone down the road you have, has there been some problem within the family that is great and it's heavy upon your heart? Has there been some loss of job or employment and you wonder, what is God doing? Ah, oh, friend, allow, don't allow those things to cast doubts or questions in your mind about the grace of God and the hope that we have. 
But let us rather keep going and let us press on and forward in what the Lord has done for us. I want you to notice the very last verse of this chapter. For Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The first thought I want to leave with you tonight is this. The response of victory. The response of victory, and it's taken from the first word of verse 58, therefore. And in order to understand the import of this word, we will back up one verse. For verse 57, the Holy Spirit says to us, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, as we think about the response of victory that you and I have, given as the, as the Apostle puts it, therefore, that joining word, that word that is launching us forward, but also causing us to look back what is the therefore in that place for? And Paul says, because we have victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Believer, I, I say this to you that everything in our lives, everything in our lives is contingent upon our Lord Jesus We have ultimate victory in each aspect of our life and our future through Him. We must see our connection to Him. In John 15, the Lord said, Without me, you can do nothing. The branch must be connected to the vine in order to draw the life of Christ that we so need. And as we are connected to Him, then we have this response of victory. We have ultimate victory in every aspect of our life now and in the future. But what about in the past? You see, we have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And what does that mean to us? It means, friend, that God, by His sovereign purpose, before this world was created, before we were here, that He has set His love upon us. This is a wonder and a mystery that we cannot comprehend and enter into. And if in a moment you ask yourself, well, why is it that God would have chosen me before all this world was around? There is no other answer to this question, friends, except and apart from God loved you. And then you will ask the question, why would God love me? 
God has set His love upon you for no other reason but that He chose to love you. And if that is not a definition of sovereign grace, then my dear friend, nothing else could be. God does not love us because we are lovable. Because, quite frankly, we are very unlovable in our sinful state. Because we have rejected God, we've rejected His Word, we rejected all the graces and mercies He sent toward us. We are not loved by God because there's a little something that's cute in us or lovable in us. We are most unlovable because we are wretched, hell-deserving sinners in our own hearts. And so, my friends, today, the grounding and the foundation of our victory and the response that we have is because Christ is at the very heart of all that we are. And He has given Himself to us. And we have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And then we have been called unto faith by the operation of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. This is a great marvel and wonder of the Lord's grace as well. Because when the Spirit of God brought us to conviction, and the Spirit of God drew us to Christ, we were resisting that. We were pushing against it. We didn't want to come to God. We didn't want Jesus Christ. Why? Because we loved our sin, and we wanted to go our own pathway. But the Lord graciously and lovingly subdued us and He subdued us by sovereign grace, and the Holy Spirit drew us to Himself. So not only did He choose us, but He called us unto faith inexorably that we would be drawn to Him. And then what has the Lord done after that? He has commissioned us to serve Him. And He has in that commission equipped us by the infilling of the Holy Spirit, enabling us to serve and to work, and to wait, and to be a witness for His kingdom. All these things, my dear friend, God has given to us. So in this victory that we have in Christ, don't forget the word is therefore that Paul is using. Therefore, based on all that I have been telling you, and in that previous verse specifically, we have victory over the sin that would have damned our soul for all eternity. And how would we get such victory? Is it because we came one day and the light sort of came on in our intellect and we realized that we were, oh, very sinful people, we need to turn over a new leaf and not do the bad stuff we used to do? No, friend, the victory that we have is the victory that has been purchased for us by our Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. And it is because of what He has done that the sin that would have damned us for all eternity, that sin was placed upon Christ on Calvary's cross. And He took it to Himself. He drank that cup of all my iniquity completely. 
and for all yours and for all His people. And when we think about that for just a moment, it humbles us with such humility because we are brought face to face with the fact that I have nothing to boast in at all. There's nothing that would recommend me to the Lord. Nothing and no reason whereby He should have saved me. But the Lord's love was set upon me, and Christ loved me with an unending love. And therefore He went and bore my sin upon Him that would have separated me from God forever and forever. And today I have victory over the sin that would continue to plague us in our life. And let's not forget that great truth, because once we've been saved and the Lord has washed us from our sin, yet still through this life journey we are in a a battle, and we are not perfected yet in this human flesh, but we battle in the flesh. And yet, through Christ and the victory of Calvary, we also can have the victory through the plagues of the sin that come into our life. And we have victory also over the fiery arrows of Satan's temptation that he brings against us. And those arrows that he fires constantly, God has told us, lift up the shield of faith. And the shield of faith will help us to see I am in Christ by faith. I have victory and power through the Lord's Spirit by my faith. And we will be able to resist the temptations that come against us. And someone's going to be saying, thinking in your mind right now, yeah, but I don't seem to have much victory. The devil seems to get after me and I fall, I fall so easily. There may be some reasons for that, friend. Maybe the Lord is saying to you, do you think you're strong in yourself? Are you attending to the very toolbox of promises that I've given to you? Are, Are you immersing yourself in my Word that gives you the answer and the solution to the problems of this life of sin? And you might say, well, I've got a lot of stuff on the go right now, and I really don't have much time to read the Bible. If you don't have time to immerse yourself in the Scripture, if you don't have time to get before God, then don't have any suspicion or wonder why you're collapsing continually to the temptations that Satan brings against you. It's not anything different than 2 plus 2 is equal to 4. And that's the conclusion of that. Believer, don't be weak in your faith. Don't be gullible uh, to the temptations of the devil thinking that you can just handle this on your own. If you're not living for God today, or if you're succumbing to continual faults and failures of the devil's temptation, then start to dig around your own foundation. Start to look very honestly within your own heart and see exactly what's going on and ask the question, where am I with God today? Because, friends, there is available for every child of God this well, deep well of promises, the ocean that is full of the Word of God and how He has promised that we will have the victory 
over these temptations. And friends, we therefore also have this response of victory. We have no need to fear death. We walk each step of this life. You, you realize and know that every step you take in this life is one step nearer to your death. And I am glad that we do not know the day and the hour of that. But we also must be conscious that we are going to die. We are going to stand before God. How do we know within this congregation by the end of 2024 who will not be here? We don't know that for certain. But what we do know is that we have no need to fear in death because for us, for us, death is but an introduction, a transition from earth to glory. And we have therefore great hope. Friends, first of all then, we've been thinking about the, the response of victory. Notice in the second place, the unity in the cause that we have. For he says, therefore, my Beloved brethren, the Apostle's heart was so open and loving because God's love was in him. He endeavored to allow that love to pour out to other people. Now, some people would have thought the Apostle Paul, this guy's a pretty hard liner. He's got some pretty tough things to say to people. In fact, he would look you right in the eye and he would tell you exactly what the status is of the way things are going. But just because someone is going to tell directly what God's Word is and what the Holy Spirit wants us to know, it doesn't mean the person is hard or unloving or careless. In fact, the very opposite is true. Maybe they're the most loving friend you would have, the most careful of your soul, the one who's most compassionate for you. Paul had a very tough time with the Corinthian people. And there were the folks in there that said, huh, who's this guy Paul? We follow Apollos. He, he's our hero. We don't want to... Paul, he, he doesn't really speak that well. He's not really a great orator. But Paulus, my, he can speak. He's a guy. We want to follow him. And so there were some that said Paul's bodily presence is weak. And he says he's going to come to us, but he, oh, he doesn't come because he's sick or he's over here, over there. And so they really, some in the Corinthian church, they did not accept him in his authority as being an apostle. Paul knew all that. But you know, the Lord had already allowed him to have experiences in his life that he never, he never allowed those things to really get under his skin. Why? Because Paul knew who he was. Paul knew that he was a murderer. He was guilty of the murder of Stephen the the second apostle of the New Testament, uh, martyr of the New Testament. He was guilty while well, he held the clothes of those who stoned Stephen to death. And I don't know, but I could only imagine that there were a number of times he thought about that throughout the course of his life. And so here is a man who was elevated to be taken up into the very heavens to see visions that no man was able to see. He couldn't even speak about them later in his life. 
These were great things that God had allowed him to see. And the Lord humbled him. And he humbled him because he wasn't maybe that accepted as a great speaker. He wasn't accepted as a man that had bodily presence or that was a great orator. But none of those things mattered to Paul. He saw who he was himself. But he also knew the authority that God had placed upon him, the authority of an apostle, and by being filled with the Spirit of God, he was able to speak the Word of the Lord plainly. And he had Christ's love in his heart for those people, those very folks in Corinth, many that had turned against him, but his love flowed out to them. My beloved brethren. We've had so much to learn about that, you know. And I do praise God and thank Him for the sweet and blessed unity that He has given to us here among you dear people. But I would say that each one of us need to be very careful not to take that for granted because as soon as we do, the devil's going to be right in there causing some issue, some friction, something going on. That person said that or they don't look right. We always have to be on guard for that in this congregation because we want to preserve that unity. And we want to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so that we are able to say, my beloved brothers, my beloved sisters in the Lord. These are our special things for us to consider because as we are going to keep going in the service of the Master, and we want to keep going in the unity of the Spirit, in that bond of peace. We want to keep going holding each other up. And it's so easy to criticize and tear down. It's so easy to be a gossip and be talking about other people's things sometimes. Sometimes we need to really keep ourselves focused and not allow those things to cross from our lips. And instead, friends, when maybe it would come to our mind to be a little critical of someone else, let the first thing that comes to our mind to pray for them. If someone's annoying you, instead of turning over the annoyance in your mind, pray for them. And pray that God would bless them. And pray that God would encourage them. And pray that God would establish a fellowship and a relationship between each other so that we'll be able to say openly with this great cause and the unity of the cause that we have in the fellowship of the gospel here, yes, my beloved brethren, it's so encouraging to hear each of you in the prayer meeting praying for one another in their needs. We are called to rejoice with them that rejoice and to mourn with them that are mourning. I often say that we, when we are at a, a funeral service, quoting from the book of Ecclesiastes, where it is better to go into the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Why? Because the house of mourning, that's the end of all flesh. And it's good for us to take upon our hearts the needs of others and to be compassionate and caring May the Lord strengthen us and help us in that, in that very important area. Notice the third thought here. The underlying 
theme, the underlying theme that Paul is dealing with. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Yes, we know that Christ is the central figure, and He is the one who unites us as His people. We are united around Him. We've already thought about that tonight. But friend, surely the work that unites us is not our work, it is the Lord's work. The the spirit and purpose that keeps us going is the fact that we are building the kingdom of Christ. We are laboring for the the bigger picture of all this. And the bigger picture is not what our puny little agenda would be, but the greater picture is got to be outside ourselves and what the Lord is doing, what He has been doing from the very beginning and even before the foundation of the world, and what He will continue to do until Christ comes back and finally at the last trump. Did you notice that in 1 Corinthians 15? At the very last trump, when the dead shall be raised incorruptible. That is the end of human history. And that is the beginning of God's everlasting economy. And the time when we will be standing before His judgment seat. The work of the Lord. It's good to ask ourselves the question, are we engaged in this? Are we involved in the Lord's work? I say we want to be. We certainly need to be. And other things can come into our life. And I'm not saying by any stretch that what we call secular employment is not part of the work of the Lord. No, it is. Because what God has called you to do, that is the work of the Lord. And so let's not think that, well, I'm going to do God's work on Sunday, but I'll do my work Monday to Saturday. No, don't think like that at all. Let's avoid the distinctions of secular and spiritual. For qualifications, I know we do that, but let us not as Christians think that we are involved in some secular work over here and we're involved in spiritual work over here. No, all of the work that we're doing is spiritual work. And everything that we're engaged with is for the Lord Jesus Christ and for His glory. And I'll tell you, as we approach secular work like that, if we approach the Monday to Friday work like that, it will not be mundane anymore. It'll not just be ordinary. It'll not just be, oh, I've got to do this to get through it. No. It'll be, I am doing this for the glory of my Redeemer because God has placed me here on this earth to serve and to work for Him in the work of the Lord. And it's not in vain. But of course, in that work, in whatever employment we have, whatever place He's put us, we want to say, Father, direct me to see souls that are in need of Christ. Because as I am directed and thinking along that line, I'm going to be working in my work to accomplish God's purpose for the work of the Lord. What a great phrase in the New Testament and in the Old for that matter. So many times we can think that God's work is just what the missionary or minister is doing. No, friend, it includes the work that you as a believer are doing 
And so it's important for us to value that. It's important for us not just to see the two things as being separated, but it's valuable for us to say, Lord, I want to be more cognizant. I want to be more mentally and spiritually aware that in my life I am serving a greater cause, and it's my Lord's cause, and that's what I want to be about. That's what I want to do. May the Lord enable us with this underlying theme. And then we have also here our determined focus. So the third point links up with the fourth point in the sense that our determined focus will be to see that what we are engaged in is the work of the Lord. And then Paul uses these three, well, ways of amplifying how we are to be in attitude toward the work of the Lord. And he says we are to be a steadfast. The word steadfast, it means to be settled in our minds and firm in our position. In Colossians 1 verse 23, we have the same word that is used, and it says this, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. So Paul is again encouraging the Colossian Christians that they would be grounded and settled, that they would be firm in their thinking, firm in their minds. Are you a steadfast Christian? A motto text we had a couple of years ago was thinking about men being steadfast, firm in the faith. And that's a good application for us as men in our leadership in the church and in the home and in society, in the workplace, wherever God puts us. We want to be spiritual leaders. We think about what it means, though, for every single Christian to be settled, to be steadfast, to be absolutely convinced in what we know the Bible is teaching is true. And as we are convinced of the veracity, the truthfulness of God's Word, then we will be settled in that truth. He also speaks about being unmovable. Sometimes we might confuse those two terms. You might think you're, they're almost the same. And while there might be some parallels, they are specifically different words that are used by the Holy Spirit in this verse. And the word unmovable means not to be moved from its place. Something that is anchored, that is firm, that is resolute. So as this applies here for us as believers, we are to be resolute in our conviction and therefore not blown about by the shifting opinions that are around us. In other words, believer to know what you believe and to stand upon what you believe and not be troubled 
by new discoveries of science. That sometimes does affect Christians, you know. The science world will come out with some great new discovery. And immediately sometimes Christians get a bit shaky. They wonder if this new discovery of science is going to undermine uh, what we believed in the Bible. Is science going to all of a sudden reveal that the Bible is actually not true? But the exact opposite is, is usually the case, that when science comes to some great new discovery, they find the theologian has been upon that mountain for millennia before they got there in their discovery. Because God's Word is certain and true. And so, don't be worried about the new discoveries of science or maybe even some new philosophy that threatens the, to undermine the existence of God. Nietzsche was, I believe, the man that put forward the hypothesis that really God is dead now. We're, we're done with that. In our intellectual enlightenment, we, we've moved on from there. Is God dead today? Voltaire's dead. Nietzsche is dead. Freud is dead. Where are all these great thinkers and minds? What's happened to them? Now, they may have gone to their long reward by now. No, friend, don't be worried or troubled about new philosophies and newfangled things. But you will find that as your spirit and heart and mind is firmly entrenched in God's Word, you're on the foundation that's not moving. You're able to say, Lord, I am unmovable because you are unmovable. And as we have our foundation firmly there, uh, we can say, that we are convinced and determined to stand against all the headwinds and changing thought, knowing that in Christ we are tonight more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And the other word that Paul uses, always abounding. And the word here, constantly, exceeding, increasing, someone who is not stagnant, not going backwards, but progressing in faith, progressing in love, progressing in hope, progressing in Christ-likeness. Are you an abounding Christian? Are we always abounding? Are we exceeding and increasing? You know, stagnation is one of the worst things that can happen in a believer's life. And how does stagnation come about? Well, you know what happens when water in a swamped area where there's no movement and flow, kind of a green algae grows over the top, and it just does not look very pretty. And it's a, a seedbed for mosquitoes and other things that are not pleasant to be around if you happen to be in that area. I'm not saying, by the way, that swamps don't have their ecological value. I'm sure they do. But the illustration is, water that's not moving becomes stagnant. And indeed, you would not to take, want to take a drink from that swampy water. No, we are to be as believers those who are on the move. 
with the circulation of the water of God, the living water of Christ flowing through us. And we come again to the fountain of living waters to our God. And He will never disappoint us, but He will always refresh us. He will always, as we drink of that living water of the Scripture and of Christ, we will see ourselves growing and increasing. And I'll leave one final thought with you tonight as we bring our service to a close. It is the glorious guarantee of the reward that we have for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The world seeks after vanity. The religions of this world are empty and vain, but not so for the Christian, not so for the one who's been born again of God's Spirit. The work that we are engaged in, the labor that we are pursuing, the purpose that we want to accomplish, it is not empty. It is not vain and frivolous. It is that which will last for eternity. Is that not why our Lord Jesus said to us, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and thieves cannot break through and steal? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So is our treasure in earthly things? That's not going to profit us. Let our treasure always be focused in heavenly things, in the work of the Lord, for we have this guarantee that there will be one day a reward and a lasting one for us for all eternity. May God bless His Word uh, to our hearts tonight. Let's close our service by singing hymn number 583. 583, we face a task that is unfinished. It drives us to our knees in prayer, a need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. We who rejoice to know Thee, renew before Thy throne the solemn pledge we owe Thee to go and to make Thee known. We're going to stand and sing verses 1 and also verse 4. And uh, if you have to leave, if you're not able to stay for our time of singing afterwards, please feel free to do so now or at the end of this hymn, and uh, we'll just come down and gather for our, our time of praise. Verses 1 and 4.
be seated.